Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. For any of you first-time listeners, we're happy to have you on board. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I'm your host, Jason Kelly. I'm coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. You can find me on Twitter at Color of the Iris. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. A little bit of a shakeup tonight. We're going to pull in Alex Cora and shake the lineup a little bit. So joining me tonight, usually on the weekend crew, but he's hopping on the midweek from Los Angeles, California, by way of Providence, Rhode Island, is Charlie Smith. Charlie, it's been a little bit. How are you? I'm doing all right. You know, I only get to hear your voice uh, when I listen to your episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever I'm listening to podcasts. I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be back. It's, it's, it's a, uh, a nice sense of, um, you know, a warm fuzzy place when the three of us got together. So good times, good times. Unfortunately, unlike the Red Sox this past series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a shame that uh, the one show that we get to do, it's, it's uh, a sweep. So. Not great on that account, but uh, hey, you know, it happens. Also with us tonight is Terry Cushman. Just real briefly, he wants to uh, say a little something to the audience. So, Terry, how's it going? Uh, well, you know, it's been better. Um, so I did miss the last show. Um, basically, uh, my mother had has been battling uh, a number of illnesses. Um, she's a two-time aneurysm survivor. Um, she's had COPD since 2009, which has caused all kinds of, uh, issues, especially when she gets pneumonia and, uh, had been in and out of the hospital, not exaggerating, probably 10 to 12 times since Thanksgiving. And, um, in February, uh, they found a spot on her lung that was confirmed to be cancer. So, Stack that up with advanced COPD, and uh, she kind of went downhill, and then on Monday uh, passed away. So I haven't really been watching too many games, and um, I'm just on here just for a minute to just let everyone know what's going on. Uh, I'm going to step out of this show, and I will miss, let's see, I'll miss the next two rotations. So uh, the, the early week rotation next week covering the Diamondbacks. And then I think the Reds series, I'll miss that one. And then the following Sunday, it'll be business as usual again, back to the regular lineups. I'll actually be heading north from South Carolina um, to Maine uh, this Friday. So that's a, a 17 to 19 hour drive, depending on traffic and um, just a lot of family stuff. My mom's services will be on Tuesday. And then uh, on Friday of next week, I'll uh, make my way back down here to South Carolina. So um, so that's what's going on. And that's why I probably won't be around. Um, I'll be here to record everything, but I'm just not going to see enough games to come on here. And I certainly don't want to fake it. So, um, so yeah, so I'm just going to bow out. You guys got a ton to get into. And, uh, I know the next show, uh, Red Sox Roundtable, that'll be released tomorrow. Tons of, uh, pitching talk. So, gonna be a good couple of shows so go ahead guys all right well i certainly speak for everyone uh all the listeners and us when i say our our thoughts and prayers are with you and and your family during this time so i uh, wish you all the best um so charlie let's get into it red Sox just got swept by the la angels and if i remember correctly the LA Angels are kind of your your team out there in the West. You picked them last year to win the division, and you picked them again this year to win the division in our preseason show. Um, I believe their odds going into this year were like plus six hundred to win their division. So I have to ask, like, how you feeling so far about your your club? Uh, my other club, my my team out in LA. Uh, I, they have they are like a, a two pony show with a couple of core pieces that are, are starting to work out. And so much of the Red Sox, they have a, a couple of rookies that are doing some work. But um, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to stand by the Angels. I hate the Astros. Everybody knows that. I won't pick them on principle, and I'll leave it at that. Attention, Massachusetts and Connecticut listeners. We have an awesome limited-time promo for new DraftKings users. Deposit and place a $5 wager on any sport to get $150 instantly added to your account bonus bets. Win or lose. All you have to do is use our code BASTARDS at sign up to redeem. Use our code BASTARDS is a great way to support the pod. So if you don't yet have a DraftKings account, do us a solid and sign up with code BASTARDS and place that first bet. New customers only, 21 plus and physically present in Massachusetts or Connecticut. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-327-5050. Valid. One offer per customer. Minimum $5 deposit and $5 wager required. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets and expire seven days after being awarded. See full terms at DraftKings.com. All right. Well, with that, we'll get into this Angels series, which uh, featured... Very little offense from from the Boston side. Um, you know, pitching wasn't really the big issue here. Um, it was more just the bats went really cold at, at a bad time. And um, we're going to get into it's going to be an offense-heavy show because this lineup has a lot to answer for. Um, you know, just not a good series from them. So we like to do our top five reasons why. Unfortunately, it's more like a bottom five. This week, it's the five reasons why the Red Sox got swept. Um, and there's certainly a lot to get into. So, Charlie, lead us off. Who's number five on the list? Well, I mean, the the first one on this list is none other than Alex Verdugo. And uh, it's really hard to survive and kind of maintain that that level of, of uh, I think, consistency when you hit 300, four homers, 17 RBIs, even stole base. You're drawing some walks. You're really doing your job. You followed that up this month. You're hitting 240 with one home run and two RBIs. Yes, you're scoring runs, but you're not knocking anybody in. And maybe that's not necessarily a product of just your fault, but collectively, you're just not getting on base consistently. And this was one of those situations 0 for 8 in the series, didn't play in the third game of it, but that's now two series in a row where we've literally seen not much productivity. We haven't seen an extra base hit since the Seattle game. He did have a couple in that game, uh, or in that series, excuse me, but uh, last five games played, only two hits. He's two for his last 20, and 0 for 8 in the series, and that's just unfortunately not going to get it done um, I like Verdugo and I want to say this is just a really bad fluke, uh, where this is just a, a streak that it's just kind of ugly because we, we know what he's capable of doing against formidable pitchers. He's had some really good games this year. Unfortunately, the bats are just all going cold at the same time. And when more than one person struggle, you're going to see a couple of shutouts and we almost got shut out in this one too. But, uh, Verdugo first problem, Jason. Yeah, it's true. I mean, look, we, we all really like Alex Verdugo. I'm a big Alex Verdugo guy. I want him to get an extension with this team. Um, I think he deserves it. I like that he's, you know, really taking hold of the leadoff spot in this lineup. I think he's a really good leadoff hitter. So he had a cold series, and he's had a cold couple of weeks. Um, the problem is this offense, you know, when Verdugo goes cold, you would like to think that you wouldn't really notice because you can shift them around, you know, other guys will be hitting. It won't be a big deal when the entire offense goes stone cold and your leadoff hitter is, you know, two for his last 20 and not driving the ball, not hitting for power and not getting on base as much as he should. That's a problem. And, and it kind of becomes like a glaring problem because he's supposed to set the table, right? The leadoff hitter is supposed to set the table for the rest of the lineup. So Verdugo either gets on base or at the very least, you know, we've seen, you know, most of the season so far, he'll have like a 10 pitch at bat to start the game and he'll, you know, get the pitcher frustrated and, you know, give the guys on deck and, and in the lock, you know, in the dugout, like a chance to see what the guys got. He hasn't even been doing that. It's been a lot of quick at bats, quick strikeouts, non-competitive at bats where he's, you know, looking at strikes right down the middle, it's it's a little weird. So I don't know if he's just in a funk right now or 
I don't know if he's just not feeling well. I know he's been banged up with a couple of things here and there, but he's got to get it going. And, you know, I'm not one to really hammer down on Verdugo because he plays so hard most of the time that it's like, you know, if he has a bad series, you kind of go, okay, well, you know that he's going to show up for the next one. Like, it wouldn't shock me if in Arizona he goes off and he just, you know, he gets today off, he gets the Thursday off, and he just goes off for the rest of the weekend. But, um, you know, it, it's it's not good when your leadoff hitter is not contributing because it doesn't set the table for the rest of the lineup. And when the other bats go cold, it, it's really noticeable. So hopefully just a blip on the radar for him, but still not what you want out of, you know, your number one hitter there, you know, trying to get these guys set up. And your pitching wasn't bad this series. You need a guy like Verdugo to really get the offense started. And when he doesn't, it's a problem. And and it really, you know, it was glaring this series. So like I said, hopefully he gets back on track, but he's not the only one for sure who needs to get back on track. Um, so coming in at number four, another hitter on this list um, and a guy who also has been a pretty consistent performer all season, but had a really weak series, and that's Justin Turner. Justin Turner went 0 for 9 this whole series. He had a couple of walks mixed in, but that was it. You know, 0 for 9, didn't didn't protect Devers at all. Um, and look, Justin Turner, I, I've liked him so far. It, admittedly, he's been better than I thought he would be. I, I didn't know what to expect out of Justin Turner when they signed him. I thought it was, you know kind of a, a weak J.D. Martinez replacement, but he's been much better than that. And a lot of people worried, including myself, like this is a guy who's going to hit behind Devers and going to quote-unquote protect him in the lineup. I don't know, but he's been good. And, you know, April he was a little bit cold, but then the weather started to heat up. He started driving the ball more, and he's been a good contributor. But let's not forget, Justin Turner is in his late 30s you know, pushing 40 pretty soon, um, you know, for him to produce the way he has been so far over 162, no one should ever expect that. That That's not going to happen. Not at his age. It's just, it's very unlikely that he's going to hit 290 with power for 162. It's, it's not, it's not going to happen. So, he had a down series. He's, you know, down to like 260, I think, for his batting average. Hasn't had an extra base hit in a little bit. Um, again, sort of in the Verdugo category. I'm not like super concerned about Turner, but again, it's one of those things where when he goes cold, you know, all of a sudden pitchers are going to be more aggressive with Devers and they're not going to be as worried about what's happening in the lineup after Devers. So, Turner, you know, hopefully it's just a blip and he wakes up, but um, definitely a weak series for him. What do you think, Charlie? Yeah, I mean, you go for 9, 0 for 10, you, you draw two, three walks. It's going to be pretty noticeable in the lineup, just like you mentioned. You know, it's kind of hard to to really talk any further about him, but he's kind of having the, the Josh Beckett effect for the month of uh, May where, you know, Beckett would come out and have – you know, one good year, then the following year would not be that good. Following year, great. Next year, not so good. And so this whole month did well against Toronto, disappeared against Philly going 0 for 10, did great against Atlanta, disappeared going 1 for 10 against Seattle, went 6 for 13 against Seattle, including San Diego because he left with a sore knee 0 for 11 with a, a run scored and four walks. So, you know, Jason, you're absolutely right. And And what's crazy is even with this weird kind of, on and off thing, he's actually done better in the month of May than he has in April, which is crazy when you think about it. But outside of those two home runs that he had against Seattle a couple series ago, you're talking, you know, middle of May, 16th and 17th of May, he's hitting an abysmal, what, 230 with one home run and five RBIs, 236. That's not going to get it done. And you really hit up on something that's really, really important. When you're one and your two guys are not getting on base, you don't have to worry about the three and the four guy. You can walk him three, four times. You don't have to worry about him scoring. He, may, he might get to second, maybe third base. He's not going to come around and score because, you know, by then 
You've got two outs with a runner on first. Just get one of the next two guys out. You'll be fine. And then you worry about the power hitters the next time through the rotation. So it's really, really hard when you have one black hole in the lineup. Usually that black hole is batting eighth or ninth. When the black hole is batting first, second, seventh, and ninth, or first, second, eighth, and ninth, you can really, really tell. You cannot survive by just scoring two or three runs. We barely won the first series of the season where we cut nine runs a game. And that was to let everybody know that our pitching just was not there. Now our pitching and our hitting seems almost flip-flopped. Our pitching is starting to perform really well, but then our offense has ghosted. We have one of the higher octane offenses this year by evidence of the fact that we are one of the higher, we are one of the better teams as far as runs scored are concerned. We were not as good with runs allowed. And now the tables again have turned. So it's, we've got to try to find like a medium for both the pitching and the hitting. I'm super thrilled with the way the pitching has gone, but the, the bats have just gone completely cold. The pitching wasn't this cold at the beginning of the year. This is much more noticeable and we got to make some changes and, and people need to make adjustments. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the offense cannot just, you know, go completely flat like this. And, you know, we, we talked about Turner. He was playing first base tonight in lieu of uh, our next guy on the list who got an off night tonight, but uh, we're not going to let him off the hook. So, Charlie, who's number three on the list? Yeah, number three on this one is uh, poor old Tristan Casas, who went one for five, and his batting average is down to 181. Uh, I actually got to see him bat yesterday. He was one of the only two guys to actually get a base hit, was the only player in the Red Sox lineup to draw, you know, get two appearances where he was on base. He also drew a walk. But the the batting average has just kind of just dissipated. No one's intimidated by him. And yeah, you can you can draw your walks every couple games. And at one point, um, I believe it was Cody that pointed out that Tristan Cassis had like a 19, 20, or 21 game on base streak. Thank God because of walks, because the hits just weren't there. He's hitting 250 for the month of May. He was hitting 137 to start the year. But no one's scared with Tristan Cassis. And and Jason, you're going to talk about it like I'm sure we we beat it over the head with, you know, beat it like a dead horse here. Uh, there are going to be players that come back into this Red Sox lineup that are going to be pushing certain people out. This is going to be one of those guys that not only gets pushed out, but can find their way back in AAA pretty quickly. So Tristan Cassis, number three, again, major offensive woes. Since April 10th, he has one home run and one RBI. Sorry, that's just not going to cut it. And, um, you know, it's it's not the only issue that I've noticed with him offensively. There have also been some plays where he's playing first base. And as a first baseman, depending on where that ball gets hit, you have to recognize right away, do I, do I go for that? Do I go to first base? What should I do? And when the Red Sox, when, it, when he didn't go for a ball that ended up going in between first and second in right field, I forget who it was that hit it, I thought to my mind, I thought to myself here, 80, 90% of first basemen are making that play. And they're probably either underhanding it or running to first base themselves. And Tristan Cassis is still a rookie, so we can chalk it up to it being a rookie mistake and him still being very, very green. But there are other people that we can have at first base that can offer that expertise, that experience, that leadership that he could definitely take advantage of. Unfortunately, with all the bats going cold and some people coming back, I just can't see this being a position where we need to keep him there. And I can't see him staying in Boston for too much longer because the experiment isn't working out. And it's not like he's absolutely slaying it against righties or lefties. He's, he's just, he's just not doing it. Jason. I feel like I asked this question a month ago. Um, and we were probably, you know, again, Tristan Casas has ended up on a lot of these bottom lists, unfortunately, at what point, is it no longer just give the kid a chance or just wait it out, you know, be patient with him? At what point does your patience run out? Because the Red Sox are a contending team. You know, it look, it's gonna be tough. Like they're they're gonna have to fight for the wild card. The division's probably out of their hands, but they are a contending team. They're not a bottom dweller. They're not the Tigers, they're not the Reds, they're not, you know, they're not one of these teams that's just uh we're rebuilding. Who cares? We'll get as many wins as we can, but it really doesn't matter. No, it matters. This guy is a black hole in your lineup. And like you mentioned, he's a black hole defensively too. He's not making routine plays at first base. At what point is it okay to just say, maybe he's not ready. 
I, and like, it's unbelievable because this weekend there was a little bit of discourse around him about like, you know, is it time to start asking the question, should Tristan Casas be sent down to Worcester? And the just vehement response from, you know, from the Casas supporters, oh, why would you do that? God forbid he doesn't hit for two months. It's like, okay, well, what if it's July 1st and he's still hitting 181? Are we then allowed to suggest that he gets sent down to Worcester? Like, I'm just trying to figure out when it's okay to suggest that a rookie isn't ready. I don't know. I, you know, like I know the, the Bloom people and the Casas people want to just give them until August because they all say, oh, well, just look what happened to Dustin Pedroia. Dustin Pedroia didn't hit for a month, and would you have sent him down, blah, blah, blah. Dustin Pedroia started hitting in May. Tristan Casas hasn't. He still hasn't. We're nearly into June. It's going to be June next week, and he still isn't hitting. So at what point can we just go, it's not working. You need to do something else. And look, I am not – a Bobby Dahlbeck guy. Bobby Dahlbeck is tearing it up in Worcester right now. He's on a hot streak right now. Is it the dumbest thing to suggest that, hey, at least for now, maybe Casas needs some more time in Worcester and you bring up Bobby Dahlbeck and while he's on a hot streak and he's feeling confident about himself? Because I'll say this for Dahlbeck. Offensively, I don't know that he'll bring what he's doing in Worcester up to here. But defensively, that guy knows what he's doing at first base. He knows what he's doing. And that's at least an upgrade over what Casas is doing. So, and like you said, Duvall and Story are on their way back. At some point, the Red Sox are going to have to make a move. They're going to have too many players that, like, it's just, it's not, you know, the arithmetic's not going to work. So when Duvall comes back, what do you do? Do you send Duran down? We'll get to him in a little bit, but like I think most people would say, no, we don't want to send Duran down. Well, then what do you do? You, you know, right. Duvall can only play the outfield or DH. Trevor right. Story can only play second base. So, or DH if you really want him to. But mm -hmm. he's pretty good defensively at second, so I wouldn't do that. So at some point, like, I wonder if in a way that's getting into Costas' head where like he he hears the footsteps coming. He knows that Duvall and Story are on their way back and it's getting in his head because he hasn't performed yet. But look, the guy has been a top prospect in this system for a long time. He's been the guy that people have been waiting for for a long time. Not all prospects work out. I know people don't want to hear that. I know the Bluminati don't want to hear that. They, they want to cover their ears. Oh, no, no, don't say that. You know, people hate it when I say he might be Lars Anderson 2.0. But it's been two months. How much longer do you want to wait? You're a contending team. You're losing series because this guy isn't contributing. At what point do you say, we got to make a move here? Right. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. And, I mean, the Red Sox have long given people rope for days opportunities. I think of the Rusny Castillos. I think of Bobby Dahlbeck, who's had not one, not two, three chances. I mean, 2020, he had a, a small sample size and maybe you can't count that. He came back the next year, had a really cold year, ended up having over 20 homers. Last year, completely ghosted, disappeared, barely hit over 200. I think he had like 11 or 12 homers. This year, he hasn't really gotten an opportunity. I'm not going to pretend like he has. I mean, he stole a base, which is great. I remember that. That was exciting. That was cute. But I mean, yeah, it was pretty remarkable to see Bobby Dalbeck completely be free and, and comfortable in himself hitting a 515 or 525 foot moonshot. And that's the thing, like he has the capability of doing that. He can do that. The problem is, can he do it consistently and against major league pitching? What you're seeing now is a lot of rookies swinging at pitches that are just, they're impatient, they're trying too hard, they're pressing too much. I mean, I saw Tristan Cassis swinging at pitches that were 18 inches off the dish, P pitches that were borderline in the ground. You just, you can't do it. And unfortunately, the Red Sox have a, a pretty recent track record of giving players too much leash. It just doesn't work out. Franchi Cordero, anyone? Like, remember him? He, he did great for moments and then completely disappeared. He was doing great for the Yankees to start off the season. And I think he's ghosted back to just being a nobody. He's hitting under 200 at this point. I, I don't think he's had any more home runs in the three or four he had to start the season. He is what we thought he was. He is a 
a power hitting bust. He can, if he gets a hold of it, yeah, he's going to mash. But if, is he going to get a hold of it? Can he? Can he actually see the ball? It, it's it's just really disappointing. There's just unfortunately, Jason. There's too many players that are not hitting at the same time, and it's making it's making uh, some some difficult decisions not as difficult as they probably should be because they're not hitting. And you mentioned a couple names which we're going to talk about briefly, so I'll, I'll park it there. No, totally. And you know. One one final thing on on Casas is um, so Micah, who uh, usually is on the midweek, he'll be back next week. But he he posted on Twitter an at bat that Casas had in Tuesday's game, where he took a lot of pitches as Casas likes to do. But you know the first pitch he took was out, you know, away from the zone. Fine, he took a second pitch fastball right down the middle of the plate. Didn't swing at it just looked at it. And I, I don't know what, I think he ended up striking out or it, I don't know what happened. He didn't do anything in the at bat, but even Micah, you know, was asking on Twitter. It's like, what is Casas doing here? Like, why not hack away at that? You're a power hitter. Like a, as much as people want to say, you know, they want to like temper expectations now. Oh no, he was never meant to be a 30 homer guy. He's 20 to 25 at most. No, look at the guy. He's a moose. He's a power hitter. He's, he's supposed to be a power hitter. That's what he was billed as his whole time in the Red Sox system. And he's looking at fastballs right down the middle. So it, that's where I go. I, I look at it. I say he's in his own head. He's just, he's in his own head. He's lost at the plate. And I'm sorry, when you have a 23-year-old hitter who's lost the plate, what do you do? You send him back down. The Mariners did it with Jared Kalanick. Jared Kalenic was a stud prospect in their system. He couldn't figure it out when he got first got called up. He looked like a mess. They sent him back down. You know, as much as Mariner fans didn't want to see it, they sent him back down. He figured it out, and now look at him. Now he's great. Now he's fulfilling his potential. Why is it such a damnation on Tristan Costas to say maybe he needs more time in Worcester? It's just... The, the volatile reaction from re, from Red Sox fans when you suggest that Tristan Casas may not be ready is baffling to me. He's 23, and he's clearly not getting it done two months into the season. But he has this sacred cow thing where it's like, nope, can't send him down. Why would you give up on him this early? And I'm telling you, if Red Sox management is stupid enough to listen to the fans and keep him up here out of stubbornness, he's going to have a bad year. And it might set him back. So, you know, again, like I said, I'm not a Bobby Dahlbeck guy. I'm not saying that, like, your other options are all that great. But I don't know. I think it's time to make the tough call. And a lot of fans don't want to hear that. They they don't, you know, they plug their ears, you know, when you talk about it. But sorry. it You know, again, it's going to be June next week. How much longer do you guys want to wait? That's what I would ask. So, so we'll see what happens with Casas. Hopefully he figures it out soon for his own sake. Um, so jumping to number two on the list, much the opposite of Casas, not a rookie, but a, at this point a veteran who you just paid a bunch of money to, who also had a very bad series and really hasn't had a great month. Uh, Raphael Devers, who went two for 11 in this series, no extra base hits, and tonight was part of one of the worst attempted double steals I've ever seen in my life. Um, got thrown out of the plate. Um, you know, that that's more on Alex Cora than it is on him. But, you know, Rafi Devers, to this point in the season, he's hitting 249. His on-base is below 300. This is your superstar. Like, most players would say, ah, oh, it's not that bad. Raphael Devers is supposed to be your big prize hitter and he's hitting below 250 and he's striking out a lot. He's not taking walks and with him right now, it's looking like it's home run or bust. He has 49 hits on the season. 27 of them are extra base hits. So more than half of his hits are extra base hits, which is good. The, the pure power is there. But when he's not hitting a double or he's not hitting a home run, he's doing nothing. He's either striking out or 
whatever, popping the ball up or flying out. Like it's, he's a boomer bust player so far. Now, you know, the silver lining, his defense has been good. You know, his defense has been steadily approving for many, many years. Um, you know, I still think he's a threat in the lineup. I still think a lot of pitchers don't want to face him and don't want to give him anything good to hit. But, you know, we talk about it like you have so many young hitters in this lineup and then you've got, you know, veterans like Turner trying to protect this guy. It's like if Devers isn't going to hit, your offense isn't going to go anywhere because, it, you know, talk about a black hole. You don't want a black hole hitting second or third in your lineup. It's not going to work. So Devers has to pick it up a little bit more because, you know, again, 249 on base below 300. I get that he hits for power, and yeah, when he hits a home run, it's you know, it's a moonshot, and you know we all get excited for that. But it's not enough. He's not performing like a superstar, and you just gave him the big contract. Like that's a little bit worrying. Like now he gets a big contract, and now all of a sudden he's just gonna what be an average hitter? That's not good enough. So, I definitely a, a rough series for him, and it's been a rough couple of weeks. Uh, what do you think, Charlie? Yeah, I mean, you, you really want to go back a couple series again. This is someone who, over his last five games, just a couple of hits, a couple offers, a couple strikeouts in one game, no extra base hits against San Diego, no extra base hits against L.A. It is a little bit of a concern. You definitely hit up on that. Uh, he was the reason why we won the first game of that three-game set against San Diego with two homers and four RBIs. Uh, but other than that, you know, it's it's been a really quiet last couple of weeks for him. And, and maybe we're being a little bit too strict because in the month of April, this is someone who just hit over 220. He did have 10 home runs, but Boomer Bus is pretty accurate. This is a guy who's striking out um, almost one out of every four at-bats, and it's it's not really showing like a $300 million guy. And the Red Sox aren't the only team right now that are struggling with these high off-season signings. Um I'm just thankful that Rafi Devers isn't getting booed by his home fans like some other players in in, in their uh, teams. So um, I'm talking about you, the Carlos Correas, and unfortunately the Trey Turners, who I actually respect and love watching. His game is incredible, and he did kind of you know shut them up in, in Philly by you know having a, a nice couple clutch games, including game winning hit. But you're seeing just a very unique year where people that got ridiculous contracts. It looks like the NFL, I got paid. Now I'm just going to chill and I'm not going to work that hard. I don't think that Rafi Devers is that guy. I think he is still pressing just a little bit too much. His swings, I mean, I swear when that bat hits his back, it's probably bruised. He swings so hard at some of these pitches. But the problem is it's just, it's not turning into anything. And here's the thing. It doesn't surprise me that he's swinging at these pitches that are outside and they're not really generous because pitchers aren't afraid of him. They don't have to be careful about giving him pitches because nobody's getting on base in front of him and nobody's getting on base behind him. You got, you know, Yoshida doing some work, Devers hitting under 250. The rookies that haven't had enough at bats are have high batting averages. But I mean, even Jaron Duran, Jaron Duran a couple weeks ago was hitting almost 400. He's down to 300 now. In, in a couple of weeks, I'm sure that batting average is going to go down even further. Um, but that's the thing is there's just not a level of consistency from any of our guys. And again, this is just another player in addition to Turner, in addition to uh, Verdugo. They're just all getting cold at the same time, and you're witnessing it. These games are lasting just over two hours. Yesterday's game, it took me about eight minutes, nine minutes to walk to my seat. Once I entered the stadium, I missed an inning and a half. Uh, or excuse me, yeah, half inning and a half, almost a full inning. And I saw the fireworks going off. I'm like, great. I know we're not, we're not hitting anymore. So we're already down one zero who hit it, you know? So at this point it's pretty brutal, but games used to last three hours and change when your team isn't hitting and there's a pitch clock, you'll be lucky if that game hits two hours. And that's, that's what we witnessed. That game was just over two hours yesterday, but you know, Devers needs to figure it out soon. I'm not worried about Devers. I know he will. We've seen the kind of guy that he he works really, really hard. He is a positive uh, source of energy, I think, in that clubhouse. We don't see it all the time. I still think it's there. I'm going to be patient with him, though. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm not super worried about Devers. I'm actually I'm pretty sure on this show we had him on the bottom five like 
two weeks ago, something like that, maybe three weeks ago. And I'm pretty sure I echoed the same sentiment. I'm like, he's not going to be on this list very much this season. He's, he's going to figure it out. He'll be one of your better hitters going forward. It'll be fine. But again, I, I say the same thing about him that I do with Casas. Like, two months in. Like, you know, pretty soon the whole be patient, wait it out, it's not a big deal. You know, in a couple of weeks, that's not going to be true anymore. So, right. you know, again, like like you, I'm not super worried, but I am small C concerned is what I would say about Devers so far. Because it's like, yeah, like you said, he swings the bat super hard. And yeah, when he connects, holy crap, the ball goes 450 feet. Like Easy, ridiculous. yeah. Yeah, but I've also seen him strike out doing the exact same thing where he's swinging out of his ass and, you know, going down on three pitches. So right. that that has to change too. That's all. Uh, but I, in general, I agree. Rafi Devers, not a huge concern. Um, so with that, we will get to a bigger concern in the Red Sox offense. The guy who is number one on our list this week. Charlie, who do we got? Number one on the list is Mr. Jaron Duran. Uh, you know, kind of floating some some breadcrumbs on the show early on. We've we've each talked about Jaron Duran, who was at one point hitting you know 400 month of April, hit 396, was getting on base, was Mr. Double, and literally, it, it felt like every single game he was getting a double. He started the season off a, a double in the first four or five games. He just couldn't miss. He was just incredible. And uh, at one point was even hitting over 400 with, you know, multiple doubles in, in a couple games. So um, I'm thinking about the game against, I think it was, it was either Cleveland or Baltimore. He had three doubles in the same game. I was just like, what, what is this? So, you know, he's parlayed that into a very, very quiet month of May where most of the offense was in the first week of the month and just like Turner and Verdugo, you're seeing one home run, five RBIs, one home run, six RBIs. He's hitting 250. No hits in this, or I don't believe he had a hit in the series, you know? So that's a couple series now where alarming is being very, very generous. One hit in the last 20 some odd at bats. I'm sorry. That's just not going to cut it. You you need to do more. Another 0 for 4 tonight. It, it, it's just what's going on? 0 for 11 in the series, 0 for your last 19, 1 for your last 23, no extra base hits, no runs scored, no stolen bases, and the alarming thing, two strikeouts in three straight. So you're, you're four now, actually counting today. So you're, you're trying to do too much. You're pressing two. I understand you're trying to set the table from the nine slot. You're still doing better than you did last year. I will admit Jason and I were pretty, you and I were both pretty hard on him after the Toronto game when, go figure, the guy who's hitting right before him, Toppy, it's that inside the park grand slam and the Red Sox make history for all the wrong reasons. We were pretty hard on him. And he's he's come out and had a, a mea culpa moment. He's he's made up for it. And he's trying really hard. He's, he's one of those guys that says, no one is a harder critic than myself when it comes to my work and, and my play. But one for 19 and one for 23 is going to make it very, very easy for us to say, okay, when Duvall comes back, he's taking uh, Jaron's spot. Jaron's going to be on the bench unless he goes back down to AAA. That's that's literally it. And and if between him and a couple other other people, it's who has options left. That's it. You know, Jason? I sincerely hope that Jaron Duran is not just the next Jackie Bradley Jr. I dealt with Jackie Bradley Jr. long enough Everyone who has followed this podcast since I've been on it knows my feelings about him. The most overrated, sucky player to ever don in Red Sox uniform. I hope Jaron Duran's not him. Because Jackie Bradley Jr. used to do crap like this. He would be really hot for a couple of weeks. And everyone would say, oh my God, wow, look at this guy. Like, how could anyone ever doubt him? Like, he's got to play every day. And then he would go like one for 45 or something ridiculous like that. I hope that's not the case. Now, realistically, I don't think it is. I, I think Jaron Duran is a better player. I think it's just he's in the middle of a skid right now. Again, the whole offense is cold. Sometimes that permeates, you know, when a couple guys start to go cold, it just it it swells and the whole locker room just, you know, guys just go cold. The the bats just all collectively go cold. 
So my hope is that that's what's going on. And once Duran, Verdugo, Devers, all these guys like start to pick it up, the whole offense picks up as well. So I'm not super, super worried about Duran, but you know, the same thing I said about Costas earlier applies to Jaron Duran. There are guys, veteran players on their way back. You got to pick it up. You have to earn your spot in this lineup. You have to prove that you belong in this lineup. And if you're going to go one for 22 and just not contribute at all, then yeah, once Adam Duvall comes back, it's going to be an easy decision, especially since I'm sorry, you're Jaron Duran. You have options. The team can easily send you down to Worcester. This applies to Tristan Casas too. They can send him down. Like it's, you know, you're not, um, you know, you're not one of these overpriced like Corey Kluber, who we'll get to in our our second show uh, coming out this weekend. You know, you're not making ten million dollars where it's like, oh well, we're stuck with him. No, no, Duran has options. They can send him down, and they've done it multiple times. And every time they send him down, he seems to get a little bit better. So they might be looking at it, going, you know, Duvall's going to be back pretty soon. Duran might benefit from another three or four week stint in Worcester. And, you know, maybe he gets, you know, whatever's going on, he figures it out and we call him back up later because, you know, again, like who knows, maybe Tapia is, is out at that point, or, you know, maybe Verdugo needs an IL stint, whatever the case is, you know, like that they have options with Duran. So his cold streak is coming at a bad time because again, like Casas, you have to, worry about the footsteps that they're hearing. Like those veterans are on their way. So it's just been a really bad stretch for him. Um, the strikeouts are a big concern too. He He's a strikeout machine. I mean, that guy, he, he has to lay off that high fastball. He loves the high fastball way too much. I mean, I saw it tonight, like Tyler Anderson, who is not a flamethrower. Tyler Anderson is, you know, a mid nineties pitcher at best. Um, he was throwing high fastballs so when Duran was like chasing it. He was late on it. He just kind of looks lost. So I'm not willing to give up on him. You know, like I still think he's a super talented player, a lot of speed, um, you know, better in the field than he was last year. So give him credit for that. But again, like he's another guy that I, I look at and I sort of have the, the, the clock ticking. I'm like, all right, let's see. You know, let, let's see how you do over the next couple of weeks with, you know, some guys getting ready to come back because your spot's not guaranteed, nor should it be. You know, you, you've got to prove that you still belong in this lineup. You haven't secured that center field job. So I, I hope he turns it around because I it'd be really nice if a 26-year-old outfielder for the Red Sox, like, actually, you know, developed and became like an everyday player out of nowhere when – like you said, last year, we were all kind of like, who the hell is this guy? And why is he, you know, he doesn't belong up here. Right. Now he looks more like he belongs, but, you know, you go through a slump like this, he has to find a way to dig himself out. That's going to be the difference. Like, that's where he'll prove he belongs in the major leagues. Can he dig himself out of a slump like this, or are you just Jackie Bradley all over again? Which I sincerely hope not, because please don't let me go through that again. So, yep. Any any final thoughts on Duran or anyone else before we uh, preview the Arizona series? No, I mean, I think we covered a lot on the show. It's been great. And, uh, you know, the bats just need to wake up. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And especially heading to Arizona. Um, so Red Sox have an off day on Thursday. They will start off in Arizona on Friday. A couple more late games, uh, a 940 start for game one. The Arizona Diamondbacks are good. That they're on they're on a really good streak right now. They're 29 and 21, uh, a game and a half back from the LA Dodgers, at least uh, you know, as of this recording. Um, really good start for them. Their offense looks pretty good. Corbin Carroll, one of their top prospects, is absolutely dynamite. He's hitting for power, he's stealing bases, he's hitting 287. Looks like the real deal. Um, they cut some dead weight with Madison Bumgarner. And their rotation is solid. You know, Zach Gallen is off to a great start. Merrill Kelly, even, uh, the guy who unfortunately didn't do so well in the World Baseball Classic, but 
Um, he's off to a great start for them as well. So they're a young team. They've got some veterans mixed in there. Christian Walker um, hitting for power in the middle of their lineup, but they're kind of a young team on the rise and they're giving the Dodgers a little bit of a fit. Um, again, a game and a half back. And so far this year, five and three against the LA Dodgers head to head. So they kind of have their number a little bit. So not going to be an easy series. You're going from, you know, a team that I think you should have done better against with the angels. You just got swept. Now you have to head to Arizona against a good team. That's kind of feeling it. So not going to be an easy series. Um, game one, again, Friday night, 940 start. Uh, Chris Sale going for the Red Sox against Brandon Fott. Uh, Charlie, what do you like in that matchup? Um, before I go, I just, I just want to, you know, kind of recall the original um, show that we did for the, the Bastards Prediction Show, which is probably my favorite show. That one and then the, oh, wow, you're so stupid. Uh, predictions kind of recap year. Our, our Terry Cushman was the only one that picked the Diamondbacks to be in the playoffs, period, as the third wild card team. So kudos to you, Terry, for that because nobody else had the stones to do that. Uh, you and I differed. We each split. I went Dodgers. You said pods. And that's, I mean, it, it felt like a very predictable uh, setup. But for me, I'm not going to pick against Chris Sale, especially when the pitcher he's facing looks like he probably still brings a lunchbox to the game. This kid looks so young. He's so green. He's got a cool name, but that's pretty much it. His ERA is north of, you know, 7-5. Chris Sale is back, baby. I mean, he's had quality start after quality start, five of his last six. I mean, he just – he looks angry, and he just wants to do really good things for the Red Sox. So, Sale for me all day. Oh, you just muted yourself. You just hit mute. Sorry. There. Opposite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I was unmuted. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I'm going with Chris Sale. Um, you know, he's he's been on fire lately, and I don't know much about Brandon Fott, but just looking at the raw numbers, so Chris Sale has given up eight home runs in 50 innings pitched, which, you know, eh, iffy, not, not the best, but not terrible. Brandon Fott? has given up seven home runs in 20 innings pitched. This guy is a home run machine. So if the Red Sox offense just wakes up a little bit, which I hope they will, and he's a right-handed pitcher, so you're going to get the best lineup. You're not going to get Ref Snyder in there or Pablo Reyes. You know, Verdugo should be back in there. Costas will be back in there. You know, your lefty hitters, who are supposed to be pretty good, should take this guy to the cleaners. So this this should be the get-right game, right? Like we talked about the offensive struggles. This is the exact kind of guy that can turn your offense around. This is the get-right guy. He's not that good. He's a right-handed pitcher, which you feast on, and he gives up a lot of a lot of dingers. So um, I'm predicting the Red Sox to win. I hope they score a ton of runs, but at the very least, I think Chris Sale – the way he's going right now, it's tough to beat him. So um, I will take the Red Sox all day in game one. Game two, Saturday night, 7-15 start. This is a Fox game. Um, Garrett Whitlock making his return to the rotation. He'll take on Merrill Kelly, who's off to a pretty good start so far this year. Charlie, what do you think of game two? Uh, it's, this is difficult, but you have a guy who's coming back who hasn't pitched in a month against a guy who's just been basically running a train in the month of May. He's had just one blip against the Marlins. He dominated Oakland, dominated Pittsburgh, dominated Washington, had a 10-strikeout game. He only gave up one run, which was a home run, had another one against Oakland, which is not as crazy of a team. You know, They're just not going anywhere, but he just – He's blowing everyone away. So Kelly's going to win game two. Arizona will split it after two. Yep. I, again, I'm with you on that one. I take Arizona game two. I've made my feelings on Whitlock very well known on this podcast. I do not believe this guy is a starter. I don't care. I, you know, it, look, he's got good stuff. You know, he looked good in his rehab outings, but I don't think he has the durability to do it. I think he still is better suited in the pen. Um, and beyond that, like you said, Merrill Kelly is off to a great start 
for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's had a killer month. Um, and we'll see. If, if game one, if the bats wake up, maybe I'd feel a little bit differently. But right now, just calling it, you know, you know, after this Angel series, I don't believe in this offense. So I just I think the bats might stay cold. And at the end of the day, I'll take Merrill Kelly over Garrett Whitlock. So give me Arizona in game two as well. Um, Absolutely. So game three, Sunday afternoon, 4-10 start. Tanner Houck scheduled to go for the Red Sox. He's going up against Tommy Henry. How do you see that one going? Uh, I think the Red Sox end up taking the series. I think we end up winning game three. Um, Tanner Houck had a fantastic first game against the Angels. It was, a, it was a shame that we couldn't, you know, muster up a couple more runs for him because we lost two to one and struck out eight over six innings and was incredibly consistent. The best performance he's had all year. Uh, Tommy Henry looks like Brandon Fott's lunchtime buddy. He also doesn't look old enough to even buy liquor. This guy also likes giving up home runs at, you know, not record numbers, but just does not seem like someone who's going to be able to consistently do it. And Tanner Houck's pitches. I mean, if you saw his game against the A's in game one against the angels, excuse me. Um, his pitches are just a, a special dose of lethal, just lethality. If that's even a word, so many swings and misses. It was stupid. And, uh, you just have to go with the, the, the hotter hand. And I think that that Hauk's that guy. So Hauk game three. I'm also going to take the Red Sox game three. I also have them winning two to one. Um, Tanner Hauk, that last start. I mean, just his stuff is ridiculous and insane. Yeah. And look, admittedly, I've, you know, I've grouped him with Whitlock for most of the year saying, I, I think both those guys are better in the pen, but I'll be very happy if Tanner Hauk proves me wrong and continues to just uh, deliver as a starter the way he has been. Tommy Henry, um, he's nothing special. I believe he came up last season, and I don't know if he pitched a no-hitter or it was something like that. I think he pitched a no-hitter, like one of his first outings when he came up with, with Arizona. He's a bit of a journeyman prospect. He's not necessarily like a young guy. He's kind of been in their system for a long time, but – I don't think he's anything special. The only thing I worry about is you're going to get the lefty lineup. So it's going to be like ref Snyder, Pablo Reyes, Connor Wong. So, you know, if, if the Red Sox aren't going well and you throw that lineup out there, I worry about that just a little bit. You know, if Hauk has like one bad inning and the Red Sox can't muster any offense with that, that might be a little bit of a concern. So that's my only sort of, uh, you know, hesitation there. But I still think the Red Sox take the series. I still like Hauk in that matchup. So I agree. I think they'll win on Sunday, and I think they'll win 2-1 to one, uh, against Arizona. So with that, uh, we are going to wrap up this episode. Uh, the weekend crew will be back with you guys Monday morning. Uh, they'll recap the Arizona series. Uh, before that, we'll have our Bastards Roundtable episode. We're going to talk some pitching, the Corey Kluber decision. Uh, we're also going to take a look at the standings around the league and sort of what's been going on and, you know, what's been going on with uh, teams like the Red Sox who are performing really well but find themselves at the bottom of their division. So some good stuff coming up there. So check that out over the weekend as well. And we will be back with you guys next week. Until then, Charlie, thanks for joining me and everyone take care.